Welcome, 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 everybody. Today we have somebody on the show that I've been trying to get on the podcast for a very long time. Zach Bush, MD, is a renowned multidisciplinary physician of internal medicine, endocrinology, hospice care, and is internationally recognized as an educator on the microbiome as it relates to human health, soil health, food systems, and a regenerative future. Uh, you can find more at ZachBushMD.com. This show is absolutely loaded. What turned me on to Zach early on was listening to him, uh, I think, on his first episode with Rich Roll. And um, just a phenomenal. He's been on twice now, I believe, so we will link to those in the show notes, as well as link to a podcast he recently did with Del Bigtree from Highwire. And uh, if you can watch the YouTube for that, which we'll link to, I highly recommend it. They did some really cool infographics and overlay while Zach is talking, and um, it'll just blow your mind. But they they really, really dive deep into COVID-19. And we talk about quite a bit outside of COVID-19 in this. We talk about soil health and um, the marriage between the soil health microbiome and the microbiome of our own guts, our own internal systems, what helps us think, feel, and operate better. And uh, much more, <laughs> the nature of consciousness, what's happening right now with the earth, all kinds of good stuff. So uh, I know you guys will enjoy this one. Please hit us up online. We will link to his um, socials in the show notes. And of course, uh, you can find me over at Living with the Kingsburys on Instagram. Please make sure you check out our sponsors. They make this show possible. This episode is brought to you by Living Collagen by Ancestral Supplements. Ancestral Supplements makes New Zealand source nose-to-tail organ meats, bone marrow, and living collagen in simple, convenient gelatin capsules. Modern-day commercial collagens are produced from hides, hooves, and horns that are otherwise inedible. As such, they are highly processed with high heat, degreasing agents, and acids and end up being far removed from anything resembling the ancestral living collagen that our DNA evolved with. These are the raw materials that our DNA still expects today to express healthy and vibrant joints, bones, cartilage, collagen, blood vessels, and of course, skin, hair, and nails. We evolved eating minimally processed living collagen. Grass-fed ancestral collagen is produced from the cartilaginous parts of the innards of the animal, bovine, meaning our lovely sacred cow, including the trachea and scapula. The processing you'll find here is simple enough. We use an all-natural protease enzyme to remove non-cartilage material, then we freeze-dry it. That's it. As such, our collagen retains ancestral properties in a whole food matrix that are otherwise absent in the modern world. Visit ancestralsupplements.com to see what they can do for you. Ancestral supplements putting back in what the modern world has left out. And if you use code word KING10 at checkout, you're going to get 10% off everything in the store. My wife uses their beef organs, which is um, a beautiful blend of many of the important things that we're definitely not not going to eat in our diet. And I don't know how many of you are eating kidney or heart or liver, but uh, this is an excellent way to round out some of the most bioavailable nutrients that we can get in our food sources. We are also brought to you by Dry Farm Wines. Dry Farm Wines is the very best in organic and biodynamic wine. Everything they source is of the highest quality. There's no added sulfites, no red dyes, nothing nasty. And on top of that, they make some fantastic and delicious wines. They do a subscription, so you either get three red, three white, or all white, or all red, or however you want to cut it. You can even do custom boxes of your favorite wines. And these guys are, are quite simply the best. 
They hand select wines to be at 12.5% alcohol by volume or less. That means there's less chance for a hangover. And of course, without the nasty stuff in it, even more or less chance of a hangover as long as you drink responsibly. Whenever I drink, this is the alcohol that I choose because of the fact that I don't have to pay the consequences the next day. And um, that's really important. It's really important when we consider our health. And probably the best thing that turned me on to these guys is that every bottle has only one gram of carbohydrate. That's one gram per bottle. So again, if you want to drink, drink the best wine in the world. Visit www.dryfarmwines.com slash Kyle, and you're going to get an extra bottle for a penny. That's dryfarmwines.com slash Kyle, and you'll get an extra bottle for one penny. We are also brought to you by Hydrant. Hydrant is perhaps my favorite pre-workout these days. Did you know that 75% of us are walking around everyday life chronically dehydrated? We are suffering needlessly from frequent headaches, energy slumps, and poor focus, and it doesn't have to be this way. You want to kick the coffee habit, but you're worried about your energy levels. To avoid the morning sluggishness and that midday slump, you need to make sure you're hydrated. Hydrant created flavored electrolyte packets that you can mix directly into your water to efficiently and effectively hydrate your body. And these guys are really convenient. I mean, I throw this in my fanny pack. I'll have one pre-workout. Sometimes if I have to podcast late in the afternoon, I'll have one midday. But for the most part, I have plenty of energy just from one in the morning. And they use a rapid hydration mix that has four essential electrolytes that your body needs. Sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc. This precise blend of electrolytes found in their mix helps you hydrate your body quickly and stay hydrated all day. And Hydrant is backed by research. This formula was developed by an Oxford scientist to provide perfectly balanced, efficient hydration. There's no synthetic colors, stevia, artificial sweeteners. The formula is vegan, and you can choose between three different flavors or a variety pack. Hydrant starts at just a buck a packet for a 30-day supply, and you can save even more with a monthly subscription. And for 25% off your first order, go to drinkhydrant.com slash Kyle or enter promo code Kyle at checkout. That's drinkhydrant.com slash Kyle and enter promo code Kyle for 25% off your first order. Drinkhydrant.com slash Kyle and enter promo code Kyle and you're going to get the hookup. These guys are awesome, extremely convenient. They're great as a pre-workout. There's about 100 mgs of caffeine, which is not too much to send you over the edge, but also balanced with 200 mgs of L-theanine, which is found in green tea is a GABA precursor and also helps you to stay even keel while you're bumping up the energy supply. So fantastic product. Check those guys out. And last but not least, we're brought to you by One Farm. One Farm, just like Dry Farm, is using single origin hemp products to make the best CBD on the planet. They are 100% USDA certified organic, which is very important, as we'll learn, for the health of the soil and the health of the earth as well as for your health. In addition to that, they use a 100% CO2 extraction, which means you get all of the cannabinoids and all of the terpenes without anything else that you don't want. They use an MCT oil base, and they have several flavors of my favorite tincture on the planet that I use for anxiety, sleep, performance, lowered inflammation, and a host of other many benefits that come from this wonderful master plant known as hemp or cannabis. And uh, simply put, it is a staple in my cabinet. We gave it to my son when he had a hen injury. Uh, We give it to my wife, Uh, especially now that she's pregnant. It helps with sleep and helps her to feel her best. 
and uh, just a fantastic product. So go to onefarm.com slash Kyle and you'll get 15% off everything in the store, including their night serum creams and their beauty supplies. Fantastic stuff over at One Farm. Onefarm.com slash Kyle, 15% off everything. And here we go. Let's just jump right in with Zach Bush. He's a guy who's going to come back on hopefully many times to the show. I feel uh, having listened to him uh, many different podcasts. He has such a wide scope of information. I know you guys are going to be blown away by this one. Thank you guys for tuning in. All right. Well, we're recording. Zach Bush, MD, is is finally on the show. Uh, I heard your work through your company, Restore at Paleo FX, and really started diving into who you were. Listened to you uh, twice on Rich Roll's podcast, which we'll link to both of those in the show notes. Um, just fantastic podcasts. Two of my all-time favorites, and um, obviously, considering everything that's going on right now, we are at a pressure point in uh, many systems that are broken within the world. And it's uh, really fantastic to gain some of your expertise and wisdom through all this. So, thank you for coming on the show today. Yeah, I appreciate being with you as well as your whole audience. It's so wonderful to be connected in a disconnected society right now. <laughs> no doubt. Well, let's just jump right in. What do you think is happening to human consciousness right now? Well, we are definitely at an you know, evolutionary event. Uh, the biology is proving you know, some of the visible spectrum of, of what's happening around consciousness. I guess you know, to jump in on the word consciousness real quick, um, I, I think that's such a vague concept in most of our minds and, and perhaps even in my own mind, you know, from a day-to-day standpoint, I talk about it constantly. I'm always speaking on the subject of human consciousness. And then yet when somebody pins you down and says, well, what is that? Like, uh, I think it, it's worthwhile to muse on that for a moment in that, I, you know, at the scientific level, consciousness, I believe is a vibration, uh, Energy is obviously what shapes the physical world. The physical world is is 0.001% solid. So, you know, you're 99.99% vacuum space all of the time. So is the table in front of you. So is the computer in front of you. So is the planet itself. And so we struggle in our human mindset to understand how the physical world is so empty. You know, what? how is it possible that it looks solid, but it's not? feel solid, but it is not. And uh, quantum physics has been really helping us down the avenue of understanding the density of vibration. And uh, wonderful physicists, if you guys haven't had the pleasure of diving into some of his work, his name is Nassim Haramain, does an extraordinary uh, short documentary on a bunch of his work of the last 20 years uh, called The Black Hole, spelled W-H-O-L-E. And he really goes into great detail around, you know, some of his papers that he's written on this subject. But the the take home is fascinating in that in one of their thought experiments, they took all of the physical matter, all of the solid part of matter in the entire universe and pressed that into a cubic centimeter of space to ask the density of that. And it's it's a one with 87 zeros after it or something like that. And then they uh, took a cubic centimeter of vacuum space, which is not empty. Vacuum space is full of the vibration of the electromagnetic field, which is measured by Planck's constant. And Planck's constant is, you know, the tiniest thing that's ever been described in physics. It is the vibration of the electromagnetic field in a vacuum. And so it turns out that that wavelength or that measurement of light energy uh, vibration has a density to it or has a mass to it. 
And he simply calculated how many vibrations of Planck's constant fit in a single cubic centimeter and then calculated the mass density of that cubic centimeter. And it turns out that it's 13 zeros longer than the, the entire you know, physical volume of space and time. So you've got this fascinating calculation showing us that vibration is absolutely the most you know, gravitationally powerful force that we have. It, it carries the highest density, therefore the, the highest gravitation to it. And so human consciousness in the end is, is not human. I think that we are reaching the capacity as humans to start to interact with consciousness. I believe consciousness, similar to maybe the concept of ego, is not something I don't have a Zach ego. There is ego out there. There's a, a resonance of ego in the population that we can all tap into. We can all access ego on that you know, quantum level of vibration. In the same way, we can all access consciousness through this. And plant medicine is a fascinating, you know, sector that I've never pursued on myself, but it's one that I witness all the time in my patients who have often done their ayahuasca ceremonies or, you know, doing some sort of uh, Chinese herbals or whatever it is. You can get into these states of consciousness through that pathway. My passion over the last 10 years in regard to kind of exploring that space of bending consciousness or reaching different levels or vibrations is through breath work. And so I'm fascinated by the fact that our brain and our neurologic system has the capacity to reach these resonance levels in just minutes of breath work that most humans have never experienced before. And when I say no humans before, I'm talking about 200,000 years of homo sapiens sapiens not getting the opportunity to engage what takes only three minutes of breath work to achieve. And so we've been just like, I feel like skating under the radar of consciousness. We've just been slightly lower than this, this information stream, if you will, that is flowing through the cosmos and certainly through our planet. And biologically, I think we are starting to see adaptation happen uh, to toxicity, actually, that is allowing us to start to vibrate at a different level. And the planet is starting to demonstrate some of those same features. You know, some of the physicists have demonstrated that the planet itself went through a third, from a third dimension to a fourth dimension shift in around 2015, 16, and then from fourth dimension to fifth dimension, still unfolding as we speak here. And so we've been a third dimensional vibrational planet since its origin, as far as we know. But to see its physiology, the, the shapes of the magnetic poles, the, the energy that flows through the planet all of this starting to shift. There was an article that came out in like Forbes, like two or three days ago. I couldn't believe it. I was reading it in Forbes, but it's uh, if Forbes is publishing that the, the polar energies are changing, then you know, you've, you've got, you know, a mainstream awareness starting to percolate up that the planet itself is changing. And as a species, and as, you know, tens of thousands of other species go, you know, extinct over the next hundred years, uh, we have the opportunity to continue on that low vibration path and march into, you know, the ultimate recycling pro program that is called, you know, extinction. But we also, I think, have the opportunity to radically transform. And when I say radically, I don't even, I can't fathom on the cognitive level what humanity will look like when we stop being so married to our belief of the solid, you know, 0.001%. What will it look like when we start to access consciousness at that universal level in our daily lives rather than through 30 minutes of breath work, you know, once a month or something like what happens when we're always in the flow of that 
that conscious vibration that is the code for life. What is that vibration doing? It's organizing all other information in the universe. And so consciousness is really an awareness of all of the other you know, content of the universe and our ability to interact with that, that master plan or, or, or master map. Beautifully stated. Yeah, uh, there's no doubt that <clears throat> the global shakeup is, has, has its benefits to those who are willing to look a little deeper inside. And uh, to your point, you know, there are, there are many ways that we can traverse an altered state of consciousness. And breathwork is, you know, maybe the longest, uh, <clears throat> longest practice, you know, fasting, caves, different things like that, the darkness. Uh, and of course, a lot of these master plants have been around for some time. You know, there's, there's, uh, I know the McKenna brothers talked a bit about, uh, you know, early ape, stoned ape theory with psilocybin and, <clears throat> Whether that's true or not, we do know that psilocybin has been on this planet for a very long time. And I think there, you know, some of the main things that we gain from that is greater awareness of ourself. And so I guess this leads to the next one is there has been a massive loss of self-identity in the world. Why is that? Yeah, that's such an intense question because it is deeply true. And, you know, that that's a frightening concept, but I also think it's maybe an open door into a better future and maybe towards that consciousness specifically there. But <clears throat> self-identity, um, well, let's start at the cellular level because the quantum physics gets really bizarre and, and it will sound like I'm just a total quack and maybe that's inevitable. But the, the path here at the biologic level is is interesting in that when you ask at the cellular level, what creates self-identity and it is these boundary events that happen at the gut level, at the blood brain level, at the vascular to kidney tubule level. So we have all these compartments that have been developed uh, through, you know, billions of years of planetary, you know, ecologic development and cellular specialization and all of this that allows a multicellular organism to exist. We have roughly, you know, 50 to 70 billion uh, cells in a human body that coordinate the behavior of 14 quadrillion mitochondria within us and another one and a half quadrillion bacteria and some, you know, God knows how many fungi and, and the like. So we've got this extraordinary, you know, life force of, of cooperative ecosystems within our body that uh, coordinate uh, a human life, if you will. But the true sense of self where our immune system points its you know telescope out and says okay that, that's outside world and then at the you know turns the microscope within and says okay this is the inside terrain that we need to take care of that whole maintenance system is defined by these boundary events and we started uh, adding chemicals to our agriculture in the 1960s and 70s uh, that would start to undermine that self identity and uh, it really broke loose in 1992 when we started applying Roundup directly to wheat. And then in 1996, directly to corn, soybean, uh, alfalfa, and now 30 other crops. And so th it turns out my lab has been working really intensely over the last eight years to understand the relationship of Roundup to the human body and why its advent or uh, into our food system correlates so closely to the massive explosion in chronic disease. Starting in 1992, we see a sudden uptick in gluten sensitivity. We had, it was an undescribed phenomenon before 92. Um, it was, you know, little cult groups out there saying that they had problems with wheat, but nobody had seen that go, you know, on an exponential growth curve until post-92. 90, 
And then 96 hits and suddenly we see, you know, autoimmune disease taking off epidemically, which didn't make any sense to our current understanding of, of the autoimmune system and, and the immune system itself. And so these conditions are mapping very closely to, to this phenomenon. Autoimmunity, of course, is where your immune system gets confused and starts attacking something within your own body as if it was foreign material. And so that's the evidence, you know, at the cellular level that you've gotten a complete loss of self-identity at that point. So with one in four girls now testing positive for antibodies to her own thyroid gland in the United States, you start to get a sense of, oh my gosh, like we are really fundamentally undermining this sense of self at that biologic level. So I think that's part of the piece of puzzle is certainly disruption of those compartments, the the sense of outside inside. Um, The immediate effects of that, interestingly, are disruption of neurochemistry. And so when you disrupt the, the, the Velcro in the gut lining, you just lost self-identity at the immune system level, but you also just disrupted the, the production factory, which your gut lining at the gut lining is your enteric endocrine cells, produce over 90% of your serotonin and more than 50% of your dopamine for your neurologic system. So at the moment that you're losing biologic you know, self-identity at the cellular level, you're also losing neurotransmitter support to your ability to access consciousness or sensory processing and the rest. And so now we see, you know, one in six kids with attention deficit hyperactivity or one in 30 with autism spectrum. We see this neurologic, you know, processing sensory deficit uh, becoming epidemic in our, in our society. Uh, Meanwhile, our adults are suffering a faster and faster degradation of the neurologic system through MS, ALS, all these neurodegenerative conditions, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and the elderly. And so uh, from childhood to middle age to elderly, we're seeing this collapse of neurologic function and and neurologic uh, kind of security, if you will, as the boundaries break down and as we lose the workforce within that system of neurology. And so certainly the toxicity of our our food and agricultural systems is playing very big into this sense of loss of self-identity. But I think there's a deeper you know, spiritual, you know, crisis happening right now too, in that we have never separated ourselves so far from nature. Nature is just a different spelling of God, I believe, you know, we have for thousands of years, you know, given reverence to a deity that we cannot see with the misunderstanding that somehow it's a far off, you know, guy with a beard or something rather than realizing that we are looking at the face of, of God or some sort of universal consciousness or intention when we look at nature. Nature is literally the manifestation of this higher intelligence, this pattern for life itself to occur. And so whether you're comfortable with the concept of nature or your concept of God, we can come to the realization that that is a vibration electromagnetic field that's setting up the, the magnanimous you know, environment for biodiversity at a grand scale to occur. And we're just a, a tiny little player within that journey. As we continue to separate ourselves from nature through our consumer products, through our technologies, through our food system, through the, the houses that we build, you know, so on and so forth, the cars we drive in, as we isolate ourselves from nature and surround ourselves with off-gassing you know, plastics and, and carpets and everything else, we are undermining, again, the vibrational capacity of our body. In the end, we're not actually biologic. We're actually, you know, atomic. We, we're made out of atoms, and the atoms are vibrating in light energy. And so we're actually creatures of light energy. And as we poison the mitochondrial system, 
we actually lose our ability to produce electromagnetic field. And so as we separate from nature, bacterial populations collapse in diversity and number. And then within the cells, the mitochondria, which are little bacteria-like dudes with, with a very weird uh, kind of primordial viral kind of looking genome, these guys start to, to suffer toxicity and consequences of that separation as the microbiome collapses. The microbiome of the gut and body are really there to fuel and feed the, the mitochondria. You lose that workforce, you lose the mitochondria. Mitochondria now start to dial down in their production of light energy. And now we've got, you know, a real existential crisis of not just cellular self-identity lost, but now electromagnetic field vibration declining. And so we're somewhere trapped in that while the planet is making fourth dimension, fifth dimension shifts. We're not keeping up with the change. And, and it, you know, just like if you try to, to stick a, a big stick in a fast ro- flowing river, the amount of force that it takes to hold that stick in, in the same space is amazing. And so we are becoming these sticks stuck in the third dimension with, you know, diminishing energy in a faster and faster flow in a vortex of fourth and fifth degree energies that we've never been within. And so I think for those of us that are struggling to make, you know, some sort of connection to this conscious leap and this electromagnetic leap to, to our next pathways, we're running into to a massive amount of friction and that friction is causing inflammation at the cellular level and it's causing that loss of self-identity and everything else. And so we become afflicted with more and more chronic fatigue, chronic pain syndromes, all of this. And I believe that that's not just, you know, the rots of glyphosate toxicity. I believe that's downstream or upstream of, of the biologic evidence. We have evidence that your vibrational force is dropping in a space that's increasing its vibrational energy and, and shape and, and form. And you're having a hard time making that, that leap. Bizarrely, you know, you know, I think that it sounds like an impossible thing then to, well, how do we possibly connect it? And in a lot of ways it's so simple and it's just to surrender. And that's why, you know, meditation and breath work and, and, you know, the, the cave experiments and everything else that we can theorize it worked then it can work now because consciousness is not from within us, nor is energy from within us. We can tap into energy fields that are not us. If we isolate from nature, then we're fully dependent on our, you know, our mitochondrial capacity for energy production. But if we tap into nature, I think there's all kinds of mechanisms of electron transfer into our bodies. The sun itself is, you know, a solar radiation gift that, you know, induces a huge electron, you know, uh, infusion into planet earth every day and the simplicity of taking off your shoes and walking barefoot you're sucking those electrons into your body through your skin at at an obscene rate of electrical transfer you put on rubber soled shoes and walk out there to your car you never got the download you're you're disconnected and so you've become an isolated entity more and more dependent on a failing mitochondrial network when in fact the earth itself in its fourth dimensional fifth dimensional shifts wants you to go for the ride with it yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> let's let's dive a little deeper into glyphosate. I haven't had. I mean, obviously, I've, I've anybody that's gone to Paleo Effects or has, <clears throat> excuse me, read read a number of books where <laughs> people come out and talk about the the horrors. And you know, it's funny because of how many people want it. It is like in the Matrix when Joey Pantaleone says, "All right, why didn't I take the red pill?" You know, like he wants to eat the steak and just 
not know that it's that it's the factor created by by the uh, AI, and just go back to living ignorance is bliss. And I think there are quite a few people who defend glyphosate in modern farming. Like, and it just it just blows my mind. And I see this only really on social media. Certainly not with the groups that I hang out with, but. Really, let's really dive into that. You know, what? Why, in your opinion, is infertility, depression, and anxiety at a record high? For all the reasons that we've talked about, in some ways, and I do think that glyphosate's in the midst of all of that. It's the most ubiquitous chemical on the planet um, in regard to like a single toxin. Uh, glyphosate is now used somewhere around you know two billion kilograms, uh, you know four and a half billion pounds, something like that, um, a year into our soil and water systems, and you know in recent testing of water and, and uh, air and rain in the United States, we can see 75% contamination of the air and uh, rainfall. And, and it's, you know, approaching hundred percent of water, you know, in our main river systems now highly contaminated with not just Roundup, but 64 other common herbicides and pesticides and agricultural chemicals, uh, you know, such that if you go to Indiana, 80% of their rivers in Indiana have recently been deemed inappropriate for recreational use. Like you can't even put your toe in it. You, they don't allow boating and that kind of stuff because it's too toxic to be in 80% of their rivers. And so you know, that, that is a, a devastating you know, reality. It's, it's not just not potable. Like you, it's not, they're not saying don't drink the river water. They're saying don't touch the river water. And so, you know, it's getting to that level of intensity. And so how could we maintain you know, neurologic function and the exquisite, you know, energy demands there or the exquisite energy demands within sperm motility and the exquisite dance of biology that has to happen through perfect communication for uh, fertilization to happen. And then, you know, appropriate cell division into a fetus that would then subspecialize into, you know, 60 different, you know, organ types and 120 different cell types and 280,000 different proteins that would then coordinate with, you know, life abundant around it. It's so astronomically complex to be alive that you know that that's not a human experience. It has to be the experience of being connected to a much bigger intelligence than just the sperm and the ovum. And so as we create this isolated human experience, we're losing the intelligence of nature. We're losing that communication system. And there's almost no possibility that we wouldn't be seeing major depression, infertility, and the rest going through the roof. And so uh, glyphosate you know, is certainly, you know, a ubiquitous toxin now. And unfortunately, Roundup and most of the herbicides on the market put in there a cocktail of toxins and surfactants that speed the absorption of that into lipid-soluble cells. It's a water-soluble molecule, which is why it's distributed itself so thoroughly through our ecosystems into our rainfall and the rest. Water-soluble compounds have a hard time getting inside the human cell, and that's a good thing. Because uh, water soluble toxins could be a disaster to cells that are 70% water. However, you know, they've figured out that if they have a surfactant that allows the, the water soluble compound to be sucked through a lipid membrane faster, they can they can kill plants more effectively. And so um, it's now functions as a primary, you know, antibiotic in our soil systems, rivers, and oceans, and has caused you know the death of of massive amounts of of river life as it has in the soils. And so we've seen, you know, the massive development of a dead zone at the end of the Mississippi river. Now the dead zone where no fish can live is now larger than the state of Rhode Island. Uh, the, the threatened zone where, where fish life is failing is larger than the state of Texas. 
what you see in those spaces of damaged water systems is algae blooms. California right now has got red tide for the first time in, in you know, at this level in, in modern memory. And so uh, we just saw last year in, in 2019, the largest algae bloom in history recorded from space. Um, every year, the Gulf of Mexico grows this big damaged you know, water system response system, which is the algae. And that algae bloom starts, you know, near the, the Gulf of, of or the opening of the Mississippi uh, Delta there and extends out into the Pacific Ocean. And for the first time, that algae bloom is a single biological event went all the way across. Uh, I'm sorry, not the Pacific, the Atlantic there, all the way across the Atlantic and hit the West Coast of Africa. And so um, that that ocean bloom of, of is showing the that the toxicity and damage from the Gulf of Mexico is now following that current all the way across the ocean to damage, you know, river systems and, or um, freshwater, you know, uh, tributaries into that ocean uh, of the West coast of Africa. So uh, we are doing some devastating effects with Roundup. Uh, you know, farmers continue to defend it because they don't understand its toxicity. Uh, they are of course told that before you mix up your chemicals, which no longer is just Roundup because Roundup resistant weeds have become such a phenomenon Throughout the Midwest now, you can't just spray Roundup. You got to add another carcinogen. Interestingly, atrazine is now sprayed at a higher, you know, per pound amount in the Midwest than is even glyphosate because uh, you need the extra toxicity. And so, atrazine was the chemical in the 1960s and 70s that that Monsanto re- said they were replacing with Roundup. And Roundup was supposed to be a much safer compound than atrazine. Atrazine was known to be potent carcinogen and nasty. And so uh, the farmers at the time thought they were doing the right thing by switching to glyphosate. Uh, the difference, you know, was that glyphosate wasn't just a toxin, it was an antibiotic. And soil systems are very good at, at dealing with toxins if the microbial life is thriving. Microbes can digest radioactive material. They're so good at doing what they do. The, the insidious power of Roundup was that it wasn't just a toxin, it functioned as an antibiotic. And so as it killed the bacteria and fungi and soil systems, we lost the natural detox capacity. And so that's why I believe atrazine being known carcinogen more potent than Roundup perhaps didn't have the population effect that Roundup has had because it left the, the, the biology of the soils more intact than Roundup has. Um, and so Roundup, I think, has been this insidious chemical because we were told humans don't even have the, the biologic target for Roundup, which is the shikimate pathway, we're told, which is this enzyme pathway that makes the essential amino acids or, or four of the, the critical essential amino acids in nature that are the building blocks for proteins in our bodies. We can't make these proteins, so we call them essential amino acids, meaning we have to get them through our diet. But bacteria, fungi, and plants have the shikimate pathway. So here we are spraying our plants and soils with a chemical that blocks the shikimate pathway. Well, that sounds good that, oh, man, humans must be safe because we don't have the target. But that failed to, to the obvious conclusion, which was, well, if we don't have essential amino acids in our diet, what is that going to mean for human biology, especially in the generational toxicity building up? And that's, of course, what has unfolded. The generational studies with Roundup are terrifying. If you inject a small amount of Roundup under the skin of a mouse, you actually can't measure any untoward effects in that mouse in that, in that generation. They have normal pups. They, they live a normal life expectancy. They don't have any cancer or metabolic collapse. Their children, those pups to that, and that uh, the second generation there, have metabolic dysfunction. So you'll see obesity, uh, insulin resistance, slash diabetes kind of phenomenon. Uh, you'll see um, you know, uh, metabolic complications of bone, and you see early death. 
And then in the third generation, and keep in mind, second and third generation aren't exposed to Roundup. It's, it's the generation, you know, it's the only first generation that was exposed. But the epigenetic stressors that that's putting in the system as the microbiome collapses in generation one, suddenly two and three start to manifest worse and worse disease. And, and generation three is either stillborn or has early cancers or has, you know, all these extraordinary, uh, you know, life-threatening autoimmune conditions. And so you've got uh, a scary situation where our first generation of, of Americans really exposed uh, to Roundup in high amounts in their diet were, you know, 1992 forward. And we are now seeing the second generation. And the second generation, of course, is inflict, afflicted with massive amounts of obesity, attention deficit, autism, and the rest. The scary thing to me as a scientist and as a father is we haven't seen the third generation of, of humans under this experiment yet. And uh, we're already seeing, you know, cancer rates explode in our children with lymphomas, leukemias, and brain tumors and the like. Sarcomas, weird tumors that, you know, happen in 80, 90-year-olds, never happened in children before. And so we're already seeing those, you know, really negative third generation effects in the second generation, uh, which begs the, the possibility that actually, you know, even 1976 was perhaps early enough for us to see the biologic effects of this thing. Uh, when we first debuted the chemical, even though it was used not as a direct crop treatment at the time. So we've got, you know, pe pending crisis at a scale that humankind has never seen before. Uh, this current pandemic is a complete joke as, as a threat to humankind. And, you know, we've only lost, you know, a few thousand people, you know, to this condition. And I'm not downplaying the, the loss of these. I've got many you know, friends, relatives that have lost their aunts, uncles, grandparents, and the rest. And that loss is real. But we've certainly la lost you know, more to flu in the past you know, than we have to this, this bug. And so it's impossible that you know, a virus is going to be the end of humanity. It, it, humanity is going to be the end of humanity. We are the biggest threat to the planet. Not only are we going to kill ourselves, we're going to take down 87 to 90% of biology with us. Yeah, I, I read uh, The Sixth Extinction and was just floored by the statistics. And Charles Eisenstein, who's uh, written uh, some fantastic books, Climate, A New Story, and The More Beautiful World Our Hearts Know Is Possible, are, are two of my favorites. He, he, was, he brought up a good point. He said, I remember driving as a kid, and he's, he's around my age in his, in his mid to late 30s. And uh, you'd have blood, bug splatter all over your windshield. And now you can go for a long road trip, and you might have one or two bugs to wipe off your windshield in between filling your tank. I mean, it's just, it's, and a lot of people might scratch their head and say, why is that a big problem? Like who cares? It's just bugs. And it's, it, that just comes from the under the lack of understanding of how everything is interconnected. That's right. how the entire web is needed. Uh, we've talked a bit about, um, Oh, also I just wanted to mention, I just watched this documentary. I'm sure you've seen it. The biggest little farm on Amazon. Oh yeah. That's great. Oh, so good. Highly recommend yeah. it for people to see that, yeah. how interconnected things are. Uh, it's a beautiful representation of that. Um, but we've, we've spoken a bit about the soil and what's happening there and what's happening to food supply. Tell us about the network inside of the gut and how it is the center of the universe for health. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, when I was doing my cancer chemotherapy development research at the University of Virginia back in you know, 2005, 2010 kind of era, you know, we, we were starting to hear rumbles out of UCSF, UCSD, that the microbes within the gut, as we were starting to learn how to decode the, the genome of the microbiome, 
we're starting to map these correlations of human cancer. And we would literally sit around our lab meetings. You know, my laboratory uh, was focused mostly on glioblastoma brain tumors, and I was focused on endocrine tumors. And um, we would sit around and laugh about these articles, you know, because it just didn't make it didn't fit at all within the paradigm of our understanding of how and why cancer develops. The fact that bacteria in your gut could somehow predict whether you're going to get breast cancer, colon cancer, or prostate cancer didn't make any sense at all. Um, since then, of course, we've now mapped every chronic disease from diabetes and obesity to autoimmune conditions to, you know, bizarre mitochondrial injuries back towards the microbiome, uh, finding patterns of collapse of that soil or soil ecology within our gut. Um, has now mapped these chronic diseases. And if you've ever taken care of a pot of of something growing or a garden or a farm, in the end, it's the most obvious thing that if you damage the soil, your plants can't thrive. And that's the gut. Our gut is really where we interface with the soil system. And we have an organic garden growing within our gut. And the root system is the villi of the intestines that are built just like root fibrils uh, to interact with fungi and, you know, I'm always, sorry, I say fungi, I like fungi better than fungi because <laughs> I feel like I'm like a martial arts expert if I say fungi for some reason. Um, but, uh, it's supposed to be fungi, but I'm, I'm one of the quirks to say fungi. So, uh, you know, the fun, fungi and soil interact through mycelium with root fibrils in, in the plant to create a completely new like life form or, or species, if you will, called the mycorrhizae and the mycorrhizae are that like hair-like filaments that you see when you pull up a plant and there's like this fine hair-like quality around the root systems and our gut i believe is supposed to be doing that same thing we're supposed to be building these bizarre like quantum structures that do water and electrical and nutrient transfer between the villi of the intestine with the 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 fungi and, and bacterial biome of the gut and so we have this complex soil ecosystem that's supposed to be co-creating life, energy, equilibrium, and then human life, which is tiny in scale com compared to that microbiome as far as sheer number of cells and all of that, is just the benefit uh, beneficiary of that rich soil ecosystem. We should tie this then back to the interesting reality of neurochemistry. I mentioned earlier that you know 90%, 50% of you know, serotonin and dopamine respectively are produced in the gut lining at the enteric endocrine system. But I didn't mention that the human brain isn't using that serotonin and dopamine for thought or consciousness. Like the human brain is not our access point to consciousness. The human brain is just a CPU chip, uh, the central processing unit in your, in your computer, uh, built by Intel. If you see your little sticker on your laptop or whatever, that core processor is nothing more than, than the, the, the switchboard operator with all the in incoming information trying to make, you know, directed into patterns that could then be outputted into some sort of organized data. But the CPU chip in your computer has never written a term paper. And so you think, well, that's obvious. And then, then I would turn around and say, well, then it's impossible that your brain has ever had a thought or has ever written a term paper, which is really interesting. That's true. A CPU chip cannot do you know, original thought. It can't do original consciousness. It, and so what is it doing? If it's just moving energy, you know, sw flipping switches, moving electrons to and fro, and it can't actually generate an original thought, where is thought coming from? And so if we go back to the computer, we can say, well, it, it actually had to get all of the information for the term paper typed into it by the keyboard. And then it's going to 
you know, can store that information long term or it can print it out so you can submit it to your professor. But it was the keyboard that had to actually write the thing. But then you think, well, what's the keyboard of the human body? And, and the answer is your gut lining. Uh, UCSF, UCSD have been showing us these extraordinary, you know, three-dimensional reconstructions of the gut in relationships to the neurons that are in the gut. And for the first time, we're realizing that neurons are growing past the boundary of your gut lining out into the milieu of the microbiome to talk and listen directly to it. Uh, so we have information flowing out and in through those afferent neurons interacting directly with the bacteria. At the same time we had that three-dimensional model, one of those labs had, had finished the crystal, uh, crystal structure of, of the ion channels in those afferent nerves in the gut to find out that they have the same ion channels as the bacteria do. And so bacteria developed billions of years before human body and our neurologic root system uh, of nutrient delivery as well as information gathering developed the ability to talk straight to the bacteria and the fungi, which is just trippy and understanding, especially when you now ask, okay, so if the gut lining is the, the keyboard where all the information is being typed in, CPU chip is here, who's actually writing the term paper? Because your keyboard has never written a term paper either. A sentient being on the other side of that keyboard had to put in the information. Who's the sentient being on the other side of your computer? It's the microbiome. And so in a bizarre fashion, I'm starting to come to the conclusion that the human biology is ultimately the most effective CPU chip that's ever been built to process the information of nature that is the culmination of data and idea and consciousness that's flowing out of all of life. And when I say microbiome, it's not going to be limited to the bacteria, the fungi, the archaea, and the protozoa, and all the rest. It's going to be the root fibrils of the plants, the trees themselves, the, the plants that we grow in the backyard. That that Dr. Seuss book comes to mind. I think, you know, which one was it where uh, I speak for the trees is the line that I'm thinking of there. Um, is that the Lorax maybe? And so you know, this concept of the Lorax is speaking for the trees and I think we are. I think ultimately when we find our purpose, it's going to be that we are to be the witness to the beauty of nature. That's why the human brain was designed for it to be the ultimate CPU chip and our guts designed to be the ultimate keyboard of information intake was so that we could listen to nature herself and tell her story. And interestingly, ancient scriptures said this, you know, I, you know God says to mankind, you know, I didn't... I didn't need servants. I didn't need people to worship me. I wanted uh, somebody to witness me. And, you know, in Christian scriptures, you know, the, the humanity is called the bride of Christ. You know, the idea of you are my partner to witness my beauty and co-create with me. And so, the you know, while I've kind of lost my, my Christian worldview box a bit, I, I still harken back to not just those scriptures, but the Quran and many others collaborate this story of, of a relationship between the intelligence of nature and humanity. And I think neurobiology and ultimately the study of the microbiome is starting to undercover. Oh my gosh, we're not the source of, of understanding. We are not the source of wisdom. We are the CPU chip that's supposed to take the wisdom of nature, process it and tell something extraordinary to the universe through that. And we're supposed to be in a co-creative journey with that nature. Uh, and instead, we continue to oppose it. You know, we we have all this you know BS propaganda about there's terrifying virus, and so we start spraying 
you know, pesticide in the, into the Alps and all over the place. It's insanity. You know, you see all these guys in masks and, and hazmat suits spraying the streets of Hong Kong and South Korea and China. And, you know, they literally repurposed uh, snow blowing machines for making snow on ski resorts in the Alps to be snow blowing, you know, massive insecticides out into the uh, environment in this pristine wilderness. It's just like, we are insane that we think we are so opposed to nature when in fact we're supposed to be uh, the CPU chip for that nature's wisdom and intelligence. So uh, I don't even know what question I was answering in all that journey, but I sure hope I got to it. <laughs> that was fantastic. Uh, is it safe to say that the gut is the center point and that if the gut is off, everything is off? Yeah. Yeah, certainly. Uh, you know, I, I can answer that one shortly of yes, period. Um, but again, <laughs> I think if, if you're having a hard time, capturing that then again turn back to the soil if you damage the soil what healthy plant could possibly come out of it no question fast forwarding uh you found a solution to combat glyphosate in ancient soil records and it's clear that your discovery was not by accident um i've often felt led in a way through consciousness outside of myself whether that be in plant medicine journeys or just with major life decisions do you feel like that was um a divine blessing to be able to have a solution right now with this massive epidemic going on. It's the most humbling thing. And it's ridiculous. I mean, I would be the first to say I have absolutely no intelligence about how that came to be. Like I was not the intelligence behind any of that. Um, the microbiome was going to show us the path, you know, nature was going to show us, you know, all of her glory on her own. And we would just be the, the very slow witnesses to it. Like I had to, deconstruct my entire 17 years in academic medicine to even come to terms with what I was seeing under the microscope with Dr. Gilday as, as this stuff started to work, we were, you know, I, I thought I had, I had taken it to his lab at the university of Virginia to show him, you know, what I had found in clinic using this stuff and, and told him, you know, I think this has, is going to have massive impact on cancer, blah, blah, blah. He called me up a few months later when he finally had time to throw it under a microscope on his cells. And he called me up. He's like, you have to come watch this. And in real time, we were watching not just cancer cells, but healthy cells do things we had never seen before. And so nature was displaying something of herself, you know, and it, it, I think all scientific breakthroughs are like this, where how a scientist is nothing but an observer. We're not creators. Uh, we're observers of, of of the natural world around us. And, and so I didn't make, you know, the, the, the supplement, the supplement was made 60 million years ago by mother earth. And it took 60 million years for it to become relevant to our journey because we shouldn't need a supplement of soil intelligence. We should have that within us. It was at this you know crisis point of human history where we had so undermined the microbiome of our gut that we had lost this wireless communication network with the microbiome we were literally losing the cell phone like communication between ourselves and the isolation was happening. Isolation leads to loss of self-identity, loss of self-identity to autoimmune disease um, and, you know, inflammatory disorders, but ultimate, you know, form of it is cancer. And so I had started at cancer and worked over the years, my way back to the human gut and then from the gut to ecology. And that's what I spend most of my time now doing is working with, you know, big agencies in the farming and ag world, as well as individual farmers as well as, you know, regulators and all of that now trying to, to help all of us come up with a, a plan as to how we're going to realign all of our nature with that, that incredible wisdom that we've been given. And so 
you know, my journey was very much divinely appointed. Um, you know, to tell you how I got myself out of academia, it was a crazy ass story that takes a couple hours. Like it, between on like February, around February 22nd of 2010 to April, my whole world imploded. Like everything, uh, you know, started to get taken away from me and it continued to get taken away from me over the next four years. And that was, you know, professionally, socially, spiritually, you know, religious communities, you know, everything got ripped away from me. Um, you know, my marriage, you know, everything just was like, and I was just laid bare by 2014. And, you know, I, that desperate journey paralleled the mother nature stepping into my life in this beautiful way. And, uh, this discovery of this stuff in 2012, 13 was, you know, I was at the rock bottom. I, you know, a human being can't be more brokenhearted, more broken in spirit than, than perhaps I was. I, I actually should correct that. I'm sure that the human spirit has been more challenged than mine was, but in my lifetime, it was the, the most, you know, decimated I, I have been. And it was in that state of brokenness that I think I was the most capable of participating in a new thought process, uh, you know, for myself and, and for my discipline of science and, and medicine um, and I, I think that's the silver lining for me is that um, we look at the autism journey with one in 30 children compared to 1976 with one in 5,000 children with autism. With one in 30 children with autism, that's a horrible, you know, karmic, you know, weight on humanity right now. But the silver lining is that when you help an autistic child recover, they never go to what you would consider normal neurobiology. They're typically hyper intelligent. They're typically wired completely differently. And so if you look at, you know, any, you know, professional out there who's got, who's on the spectrum, um, they're doing things differently at every level. They can't be programmed with the old paradigm. And I'm wondering if we needed the autistic journey to give us enough people that were thinking so differently and simply could not be wired or programmed with our own, you know, narcissistic humanistic, you know, viewpoint of the world and can only be connected and they're always in flow and is the torment of uh, a child with severe autism actually uh, an, an entity? Is it a being that is not sensory processing the human experience? It's sensory processing the extraordinary physical world that we can't see. Is that child actually being torn apart by a static, you know, humanity that's decaying and the spiritual reality of an accelerating planet and, and universe asking us to join in. And that child is being, you know, stretched to its, its absolute, you know, seeming breaking point of, of consciousness when it, when it's stuck between these two worlds. I think that's distinctly possible. And uh, when I see children starting to move out of, out of their, their most severe versions of autism and they start to speak, um, they, they speak truth. They are brutally honest and, and they, they don't know the social cues to, to edit what they're thinking and experiencing. Uh, we need that level of truth to come from our children uh, because we need to be told we really, really screwed it up. And we did it in the pursuit of comfort and wealth. And uh, we've lost the nature of, of humanity. You've seen incredible transformation of somebody who's healed their gut and regained their identity. And perhaps um, you have some stories of, of people with autism. You've witnessed some incredible stories. Tell us about those. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, the kids are so interesting. You know, we've now got you know some kids that are following along with us. You know, who first saw this communication network in a dietary supplement in around 2014, and so they're they're approaching six years in, and you know, so they're starting to go into high school. They're starting to you know make these transits into higher education, and all that, and um, it takes a lot of resources. You know, it takes a lot of resources to help a child like that through because their intelligence is not measured by a standardized test. Their learning methods are not the same. And so I don't want to diminish the challenge it is to those mothers, um, even as that child is in a healed state and really starting to function at a higher level, it doesn't diminish the sheer amount of energy that falls you know, demanding on those parents. And uh, it's a, a difficult, difficult journey. There is no like, woohoo, like, you know, what a relief it's over. It's always, you know, you know, celebrate the milestones and then take the next wearisome step forward to try to support your child. So I just honor all of the parents that are out there on a journey with an autistic child. It is, it is excruciating. It is truly exhausting. Um, but I'm, I watch the parents with those children that are doing, you know, the, the most recovery and they have changed their parents so profoundly. Those parents have been so transformed by that. And so the beauty that I see in autism is not limited to the child's journey of healing. I think that they're healing their parents, their grandparents, their aunts and uncles involved in their daily care, their teachers, their, their uh, special ed groups are being affected and their consciousness is also rising as these children find their voice and can speak a sentence. Uh, it's very interesting that autistic kids who have never spoken a word, who put them on this uh, you know, dietary supplement and it's not unusual that within a week or so that child, even with just a few drops in the mouth, we're talking about, you know, tiny, tiny microdosing of, you know, the intelligence of soil and these children will start to speak. And when you, when, and not all of them, it's, you know, the whole gamut of healing is not always verbal first. A lot of times the healing is in uh, other paradigms or other you know organ systems or whatnot. But for those kids that the verbal is the first sign of, of kind of neurologic stability returning they never baby talk. They never need to learn grammar. They never need to learn how to spell. They never need to learn how to phonate, which is a bizarre, a mouth that has never spoken a word will suddenly say, mom, I'm hungry right now. Can I have a sandwich? Mom just about falls off the chair because she has never heard her child speak. And they just said a sentence a month later, that kid is memorized and singing entire Disney movies, you know? And so it's, it's so interesting that the brain, again, is not the, the source of consciousness. If you give back a communication network that allows for sensory processing to start to organize itself, these kids know everything they need to know from human experience because the intelligence that they're tapping to is not coming from their own brain's experience. I find that bizarrely fascinating. And nobody I don't, that I've found has really written extensively on that. Uh, it challenges our, our concepts of neurobiology for sure. There's no way a tongue should know how to sh shape the, the sound of a, a word if it's never done it before. That should take great practice. You've, if you've ever seen a kid learn how to talk and how long, you know, that year long, couple year long process takes, it's not like that. It's, it's instantly accessible to these children. And so uh, I believe that it's possible that we all have that capacity for instant, you know, uh, information ac acquisition and skill acquisition if we are are not glued to our belief of the linear adaptation of energy or, and information, 
I think Charles Eisenstein is an amazing example of it. Or, you know, you could point to, to many people who are out there that are challenging, you know, human minds right now to, to see the world differently. There's so much intelligence pouring through the humanity right now. And there's no way that, that Charles was old enough to have learned everything he knows. There's no way he read enough books to know everything he knows. There's no way that he sat at some philosopher's feet long enough to be able to speak the philosophy he speaks. It came through him from uh, a quantum, you know, higher intelligence. And I would say the same for me. I've never gone into a podcast and I'm nowhere near at Charles' level of eloquence, but I, I know that there's something speaking through me that's not me. And I know that the energy between my words is far more important than my words themselves. Uh, I listen back to my own podcast on rare occasions when I'm forced to, and, and I can't stand the sound of my own voice like everybody else. But I also can't figure out what's even interesting about them because I'm not hearing, I'm looking for something in the words and I'm, and there's nothing in the words that's terribly compelling. I feel like all the words I've ever said have been heard a million times in human history. I think there's some energy between the words that is pouring through me that is making sense to you or your audience or, you know, when Charles writes a book that is making sense to all of us because it's not coming from Charles. It's not, it's coming from our source. And when we hear source, we know deep truth is being revealed that can't even be expressed in the frailty of the English language that we don't have words to speak quantum physics truth. We don't have words that have the, you know, or lexicon that would allow for the explanation of the, the origin of life, why we're here and where we're going. And yet you get a sense of why we're here, who we are and where we're going between the words of Charles or, you know, uh, you know, the power of now, great example of it there. You know, it's like, you know, these books are written and they just create cataclysmic shift in, in thinking. I would say in my life, you know, Atlas Shrugged was one of those books that, you know, I can read any time in my life and be in tears in that last couple paragraphs. And I'm crying not just because the content is moving. I'm crying because the book is over and I want more. I want to be in plugged into the flow that Anne Rand found herself in as she wrote that second book. And and, you know, I'm compelled to see where that's gone, you know, went to Nathaniel Brandon and, and open objectivism as, as her and Nathaniel had that longstanding affair and relationship and Nathaniel developed the, the, the realization that the closed objectivism of Van Rand couldn't be right. It had to be an open generative philosophy. It couldn't be a finished philosophy. And, you know, they both went to their graves, you know, you know, disagreeing over that. Nathaniel Brandon actually handed on the legacy of open objectivism as a philosophy to Patrick Gentempo, one of my close colleagues. And he was a chiropractor, still is a chiropractor, I guess, doesn't practice uh, chiropractic outside of just for his friends and family and all that. But he's a, a philosopher and teaches all over the, the, the world around medical philosophy, health philosophy. Um, but he's gone much, much deeper in these last couple of years. And he and I were just on the phone this weekend speaking in depth on this topic. and it's so clear that he's reaching quantum levels of information in his journey that again, he's, he's, he said over and over again to me, he's like, I'm not even receiving information for myself anymore. And I never go into a meditation anymore looking for something for myself. I'm just opening myself up and just information is pouring out and he gets these specific 
you know, messages of this person needs this piece of information and he'll call me up and he'll tell me something or a call, you know, somebody he's hardly knows up and tell them something. And it changes your life when he's spoken this to you because it is a message from source to you and, and it reorients your whole thought process. And so, you know, I think he's an example in that Ayn Rand kind of you know, pathway of, of realization that beauty is ultimately why we are here. And if we are not manifesting beauty through our diligent work, if we aren't pursuing excellence, not for the purpose of excellence, but for the purpose instead of really realizing beauty, we're not totally in flow. And so it's a it's an incredible journey that we're all on right now. And I think it's no mistake that seven billion souls showed up to play the game right now. Yeah, that's beautiful. Tell me the name of him one more time. I'm going to link to him. The yeah, show yeah, you got to check out Patrick Gentempo. It's G-E-N-T-E-M-P-O. Uh, Patrick Gentempo. Um, I think that uh, maybe some of his stuff from... Uh, Cal Jam are available online, things like that, as far as uh, some of his public appearances and stuff like that. But he's, uh, you can see, you know, many hours with him in some brilliant films. He runs a, a film company uh, now. Well, he's partners in a film company called uh, Revealed Films out of um, Park City, Utah. And um, he did uh, Vaccines Revealed early on, and then he did GMOs Revealed. And that's how he and I got really close during that project. And then, um, more interestingly, uh, the last year, uh, they did Money Revealed, which is an extraordinary uh, thing. This is a long-form documentary. It's like 22 hours of content on these different subjects with experts around the world, and then they break them up into you know hour-long episodes. Um, uh, but Revealed Films, worth checking out. Every, every subject they tackle is really mind-bending. They did Christ Revealed, an incredible journey into Israel and into the Christian orthodoxy as well, and kind of comparing... Uh, the the Hebrew scriptures and and the New Testament and experts on both and you know Patrick and his partner are Jewish in background and so amazing to watch these Jewish men without any Christian faith move into the history of Christ and Christ energy and under, come to understand that and be you know incredibly moved by the experience where the, that where they were not expecting to be and so um, Christ revealed and money revealed both came out I think in twenty nineteen. Um, maybe one of those, maybe, yeah, I think they were both 2019. So um, check those out for sure. But uh, really wonderful to see that, again, I think intellect is rising. The fact that, you know, you're a good example of this, Kyle, and that curiosity is rising. And I think curiosity is is the life's blood of, of human life. Uh, those people in my life who've been my greatest mentors are typically in their you know, 70s, 80s, 90s, and my great-grandmother in her hundreds, um, these people maintained curiosity at a childlike level their entire lives, and they stayed young for it. And I think the sheer number of podcasters right now that are interviewing and wanting human connection and, and storytelling together and to explore consciousness, uh, your curiosity, your you know, commitment to this show that you're doing, I think is is right in line with this rise in human consciousness and and. Uh, you're participating at this extraordinary, important level, which is connectivity. Uh, I would drive myself crazy if I just had to sit in a room, and, and my wife will attest to this, that I do go crazy when I'm stuck in a room and unable to communicate with other people because there's too much stuff pouring through that doesn't make sense to me until I'm able to connect with another human being and, and have a dialogue. And then suddenly all of the information orders itself, and I feel this huge breath of relief when, when I've been given the gift of communication, when I've been given the gift of 
a mind that is channeling through me because ultimately if it's not from me, then why would it come out of me? If it wasn't that, that an audience of human beings or a community of human beings didn't want the information. And so every time I go on a podcast, I look forward to, cause I'm going to learn as much as anybody else's cause you're pulling this information through me that I've never had access to before. Beautiful. Most, most people are in a state of fear. I know we only have a little bit of time left, but most people are in a quite a big state of fear. Obviously. Uh, I think that's, you know, that's not new information. <laughs> Obviously the media has really, um, that's how they've, that's how they've gained viewers since the dawn of television, yeah. since the dawn of newspapers. It's, it's, there's nothing new here, but you know, with as many people that there are glued to their television screens, glued to social media, glued to all these places where it's just seeped in constantly. I mean, I open Spotify and there's a COVID-19 update at the top of, I want to click on it. It's like, I'm, I'm here to listen to music. I don't know what the hell this is, but all that to say, I mean, what is your advice on fear and fear of death? Um, yeah, I think some of my best work in recent weeks on this was done on two, two events. Um, one was I was on high, high wire TV on uh, the web last week with Dell big tree and went into great detail about this subject. So if you want an hour and 15 minute deep dive on where we are with this pandemic, what caused the pandemic, which wasn't a virus, obviously the pandemic is, is one of fear. And then, uh, podcast with Rich Roll a couple weeks ago called The Pandemic of Possibility. Um, those two shows, I think, would would really take you down a deeper look at how has fear been utilized uh, to change not just human behavior this time, but economic behavior, uh, where we're going into the deepest depression that we've ever gone into in human history. Um, we've never lost more jobs in human history than we have in the last eight weeks. Um, we have lost more jobs in the last eight weeks than you know any of the previous recessions to, depressions combined of the last hundred years, it looks like. So it's just like, you can't fathom the damage done yet because we haven't seen its repercussions. You know, we are just beginning a long journey as a, a, you know, a global community uh, to see the repercussions that fear has reaped on us here. And yet it's also been the greatest moment in human history and that mother earth got a moment to breathe. Uh, Humanity stopped universally for a moment and paused and uh, it, the gifts have been rich in, in the biology and ecology. And so the huge silver lining there, um, but high wire TV with uh, Dell big tree will deep dive on that specifically around death. And the last few minutes of that, um, if you only have a few minutes, then just fast forward to the last 10 minutes. And my wife said yesterday, I don't know why anybody listens to any of their stuff. The best stuff's always in the last 10 minutes. They should just always fast forward. Um, and so I agree with that, actually, um, unless you feel like you need more vacuum space and the, the space between the words. But um, the last 10 minutes, of the stuff that came out of me there was, I think, a really extraordinary description of our misperception of death and what I've learned in the ICUs and all that were reflected in one of my old ritual podcasts as well. But I think this one was the most, you know, kind of incredible story that came out as far as just the beauty of detail of our original birth through our mother and then the second birth of death. And uh, as a hospice doctor, which was my third subspecialty, I got to see a lot of death and dying. And I went into that specialty because I had seen such beauty in that transition and transformation in the ICUs when I was working in hospitals. And I wanted more of that in my life. And um, in a bizarre way, I really believe that uh, one of the you know biggest mistakes we've made as uh, as a society and as a species when it comes to pursuing consciousness is we sterilize death. 
uh, we we took it away from the human experience. We we tucked it away in ICUs and and nursing homes and everything else, and we took death out of the home. Uh, and we did that sa- same thing with birth. We took birth out of the home and put it in these you know birthing centers and high technology spaces. And home births are so beautiful; they're so exquisite. And when they when they go well, it's just the most magical thing out there. And um, in the same way, death in the home is one of the most exquisite, beautiful you know, letting goes of the physical body to, to seep right back into consciousness in its fullest state. Uh, so we've got, you know, a lot of journeys ahead, I think, in, in re-engaging uh, nature. And in that journey on the human level, that's going to be look like re-engaging our birth and death and, and understanding those two bookends of our physical experience so that we can better understand the energetics of soul and the energetics of consciousness that, that will be caught up in that river of life. Incredible, brother. It's been so good having you on. Thank you. Um, where can people find you online? We'll link to all this in the show notes. Sure. Uh, ZachBushMD.com is an easy place to find all the educational material and podcasts and jazz like that. And got a new website launching in the next couple of weeks with a bunch of new content and all that. So you can tune back in in the weeks to come. Uh, the nonprofit is FarmersFootprint.us. Uh, we would love support for the farmers. We desperately need to change the food system and uh, we have an extraordinary, you know, international education uh, system and, and awareness campaign coming together through that nonprofit. So if you can make even a small donation to FarmersFootprint.us, it'd be much appreciated. Uh, dietary supplements can be found through the Zach Bush MD channel, or you can go to IonBiome.com uh, for more of that science. Incredible. Thank you so much. And I uh, most certainly want to do it again face to face so I can share the energy uh, by being in the I, same room. I remember that hug from, from, uh, the last event we were at. So I'll get another hug from you. You got some good awesome. energy. Thank you so much, <laughs> brother. Take care. Thank you guys for listening to today's show with Dr. Zach Bush. Uh, it was a real treat to have him on. Obviously, it's never ideal to do these things online, but due to the current circumstances, uh, I was very, very pleased that I was able to get him. I know he's a busy guy. And um, hopefully when he's out here for Paleo FX next time, we can sit down face to face and have another great conversation. Hit me up on at living with the Kingsburys and let me know what you thought and check out our wonderful show sponsors because they make a huge difference in making this show possible. Love you all. See you in a week. 